Who is this king that we're called to follow? What is he like? And what does it mean to live as, as a part of his kingdom? And, and today we're kind of concluding that portion of things. And then in the new year, we're going to conclude our series with the resurrection, which is really the greatest miracle of all. But for now, we're going to conclude actually anticipating his return. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew 24. And as you are turning there, let's ask the Lord for his grace and goodness to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that no matter how we feel, God, no matter where our heads are, Lord, no matter how faithful we have been, Lord, thank you that we can always come to you. We can always come to you to your throne of grace. And Lord, thank you when we come to your throne of grace, it's not because of anything we've done, good or bad, Lord, but we come to your throne of grace because Jesus, you have paid it all and we owe all to you but Lord because you've paid it all now we can be welcomed freely into your presence to ask you for your mercy and grace in our time of need and God this morning as every day we we are needy God I ask you for your mercy this morning your mercy for me your mercy for everyone here God I ask you for your grace your grace not just for me Lord but for everyone here Lord, thank you that you are a loving Father that desires to pour out your mercy and grace. And so, God, even now, I just pray that you would, you would shower us with your grace and your mercy, that you would strengthen all those who are weak and weary. Lord, I pray that you would spur us on in the, and that you would give us grace in, in the form of not letting us be complacent. Lord, I pray that you would give us your mercy for those who are weary. God, I pray that you would give us your grace of your word to remind us, Lord, of your imminent return and the rewards you give. God, I pray for all of us that you would give us grace to hear you and grace to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was younger, I read a book called The Sign of the Beaver. Anybody here read that book, The Sign of the Beaver? It's, a, it's a, one of those golden classic kind of books. And it's a great story about this guy named Matt. I mean, maybe that was why I liked it. Um, he's this, this young boy. He's an early teen, maybe 12 years old. And he goes with his father from Massachusetts up to the northern woods of Maine in this rugged wilderness area. And the two of them go ahead of their family because they've left his mom or the the father's wife and siblings back in Massachusetts. His mom has a baby. And so they go there to build this cabin. And they finish building this cabin. And then something surprising happens, at least if you're not expecting it. You're reading this book and the father says, by the way, Matt, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and get the family now. And so he leaves this boy in the wilderness of Maine in, in 1767 where there's all kinds of, of trials. There's no cell phones. You know, he can't text his dad. He can't call him. He can't ask for advice. There's no social interaction. He's all by himself. And so the father goes away for a period of time. And he says, hey, I'm going to go away for a while. I'll probably be back in about seven weeks. But as the book progresses, you realize that the father doesn't come back when, when Matt expects him. And so Matt has to deal with how will he live? How will he live with his, with his father not there? Now his father tried to give him some instructions before he went, but he couldn't prepare him for all the little details he encountered. He couldn't prepare him for the bear that he was going to encounter in the woods or the Native American tribe that decided to come and visit Matt and, and all the different people he would encounter. But his father tried to give him some general principles. And, and, and I, I was thinking, you know, if that was me, if I was the father in that story and I was going away for a while, knowing he was coming back, but, not, but I couldn't be guaranteed of when, you know, I would, I would want to give some instruction. How about you? Wouldn't you want to, if you have maybe, you have children and you're thinking, okay, if I have a 12-year-old, first of all, I don't know that I'd do that, not nowadays, especially even though we have modern conveniences, but I would want to give some general principles. If I was going away for a long time, I want to give some principles to live by. I want to give some principles that they could say, okay, how are we supposed to live if dad's not around? And then I put myself in Matt's shoes, not this one, but that Matt, and and I realized that, oh my goodness, how would I live? How would I know how to live and encounter all these various situations? Maybe my dad would come back, I didn't know exactly when, and he might take longer than expected. How would I have coped? What would I have done? 
And I think, you know, that's, it's good for us to think about as well, is what, what would we have done? How would we have lived? In the story, what guided Matt all along the way was the knowledge that his, his dad really was returning and going to return, even though that got tested all along the way. But he kind of lived with these principles his dad told him, and he lived thinking, okay, I, no matter what I see, I'm going to remember that my dad's coming back, even though it's taken much longer than I thought. Well, eventually, we'll find out the end of the book, but what we have in, in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 is, is really some general principles, some instructions that Jesus has for his followers and how to live while he's away. You know, sometimes it can feel like we're living in the wilderness and we encounter things that we don't anticipate. We encounter difficulties and trials in this life. And sometimes we might think, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. Is he ever coming back? You can be tempted to live discouraged, thinking, well, I don't know if I can make it that long. And yet, if we look to Matthew 24 and 25, we can see some principles that Jesus is laying out. And we're actually going to cover a, a large portion of Scripture today in four chunks. We're going to cover four different, I know it's, don't, don't, don't worry, it's, it's not long, we're not going to go in detail on each one, but we're going to cover four different parables that Jesus was telling in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. And what he's doing here is he's preparing his disciples. This is just three days before he was betrayed. Three days before he knew he was going to go away. Now, Jesus was resurrected, and he spent some more time with them. But he wanted them to not worry when they saw him depart. He wanted them to know how to live. How, how should we live without the master? And he's giving them some principles here that, that would serve them for the rest of their lives. Jesus had just left the temple grounds with his disciples and he's only going to go back when he is taken back into Jerusalem. And he's left Jerusalem. One of the disciples came and told him, you know, it was kind of like, um, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area and, and when we used to take visitors there, we would see all the ornate buildings and you, you'd kind of marvel at it, but you grow familiar with it if you've been there for a while. One of the disciples, they had, Jesus had gone in, they were coming out and they said, Jesus, look at these buildings in the temple. Isn't that really impressive? And Jesus told him something shocking. He says, I tell you that none of these stones are going to remain. Now, for a Jew, that was a really big deal because the end of the temple is the end of the age. And so you can tell they're kind of thinking about these things. And so um, we come down to Matthew 24, verse 3. If you look down your Bibles, the disciples have been thinking about this. And Jesus has this walk from Jerusalem. He goes down the valley, back up onto this mountain called the Mount of Olives, it's a little hill just opposite the city, and that's where they were staying. And so he goes there, and so the disciples have been thinking about this. Wait a minute, if the temple's going to be destroyed, if there's no place, if, if that's the end times are coming, then, then what's that going to be like? And so in, in verse 3 of Matthew 24, it says, The disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? Otherwise, when will the end of the ages be? And he says, What will be the sign of your coming in the close of the age? And then what we're going to look at, part of at least, is, is what's now been called the Olivet Discourse. Just a fancy word, saying the Mount of Olives teaching that Jesus gave right before he was going to die. And like most of his other teachings, Jesus used parables or stories to convey ideas. He gave some good illustrations. So what we really have today is just a bunch of good illustrations of principles that Jesus would have all of his disciples to live by. And so, although there could be weeks' worth of sermons on these two chapters, we're not going to do that, and I'm not going to take six hours today. Um, but I think what we will see is at least some of how Jesus intended for his disciples to leave in this interim period, which can be confusing. and was going to be confusing for them. It can be confusing for some. Will, will Jesus really return? And then, should we try to figure out when he's going to return? Is that what we're meant to do? Or if he, you know, how should we live if he's going to return tomorrow? What, what should we do? Or what if he returns in a long time? What should we do then? And so these passages really serve all of us and all of Jesus' disciples to, to give us principles about how to li live while he's away and in this interim period. So let's read this first short parable together. Matthew 24, skip down to verse 43. It says, but know this. But know this, that if the master of the house had known 
in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is the word of the Lord. You know, a while back I was up late on a Friday night. Julie had just gone to sleep and I normally study up in my office. But today, that night I thought, you know what? I'm just going to read the scripture for Sunday ahead of, right before I go to sleep. So it's the last thing on my mind so my brain can process it. And so on a Friday night I was sitting up in bed. All the lights were on in our room. And, and I was just kind of reading the Bible. And I'm not that holy that I do that all the time. It just happened to be that's what I was doing then. And so I was reading the Bible. And then although my lights were on my room, I hear this loud thud against the door and the doorknob jostled. And I thought, what? whoa, wait a minute, what just happened? I'm like, that, that's not a bug. That's, you know, that's not a bug running into the door because of the light, because the doorknob jiggled. And so I tapped Julia, had her call 911. I jump up with a little extra protection and go to the door. And, and I, I open the, the blinds and I go and check out all the windows. I cut on all the lights in the house uh, meanwhile, the sheriff's office, uh, the, the, the deputy is on the way, and I think they sent their biggest officer. The guy was massive. I mean, um, he made Schwarzenegger look small. He was a big dude. And, and so he, he came and he walked around the outside of the house, and he checked things out. And, you know, the house is bright as all get out everywhere. And we talked for a while. His squad car sat out front, and we didn't have any more problems that night. But I was thinking, if I'd been asleep, if I'd been asleep, I wonder... If whoever that was would have come in the house and what would have happened if I wasn't ready and I wasn't prepared and I wasn't awake, it could have been potentially very bad. You know, I, even though I try mentally and physically to prepare for, and I know it sounds crazy, but given some background that I have, and I'll tell you about that later, um, you know, I prepare generally a few times a week, mentally and physically for emergencies. And so no matter what though, if you're asleep, you never know exactly how you're going to respond. You know, if we knew ahead of time, if I knew ahead of time whenever someone was going to try to break into our house, it would never happen because I would, I would prepare for that. I would prevent that from occurring. And what Jesus is sharing here is this principle. He's not saying that he's a thief, but he's sharing a principle here that you know, he's going to come back when, when you don't expect it. He's going to return when, when it's not expected. And so we're, we're meant to be living for his return. He could come back at any, any point in time. You don't know when he's going to come back. It's going to be like a thief in the night. It's going to surprise no matter when that happens. And so the first idea here, that, that the principle to live by, that we need to actually guide our lives by, is that Jesus could return unex, unexpectedly, or maybe could, he will return unexpectedly, so we're to live vigilantly. We're to live vigilantly. We don't know when he's going to return, but he's going to come like a burglar in the night, catching many by surprise. What he's saying is that he's, he's going to come at a time when you don't expect it, so be awake be alert. That doesn't mean staying up all night every night. That's not, that's not what he's saying, is that physically stay awake. But we need to spiritually be alert, be awake, be ready for him to return and living in a way that it can happen anytime. I was thinking about that. If, if I lived like that spiritually or lived in my life like that, then it would change how I lived. It would, it would change what I'd live for. You know, I think I would become less attached to the things of the world. I think I'd be less inclined to live as if this world is all there is. You know, right now, in, in this season, right leading up to Christmas, it, it, it's hard to live as if presents and gifts and the season and the things of this world are not all there is to live for. It's hard to remember that no. We're to be living in light of his return, that he can return, and he will return at an unexpected time, and we're to always live in light of his return. You know, people have asked us, okay, as a church, do you have a specific stance? Are you, are you pre-mill, post-mill, amillil? I said, well, well, what's important here is that we believe that Jesus will return at any moment, and we're always to live in light of his return, and that should affect how you live every day. But the question for you and I is, does it really affect you? Are you really living that way? living that Jesus could return. 
And so how is that seen in your attachment to the things of the world? How is that seen in your attachment to stuff? How is that seen in your relationships? How is that seen in how you present the gospel or how you don't present the gospel? How, is, how does your life reflect the fact that he will return when you don't expect it? Well, we're going to look at each of these parables uh, to mine the general idea of some of these principles. But that first principle is that he could return or will return when we don't expect it. So we need to live vigilantly. Well, let's, let's look down in Matthew 24, 43. Oh, sorry, Matthew 24, uh, 45. Sorry, I apologize. It says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. And I wish the, the parable would stop there. It doesn't. Continue on with God's word. It says in, in the following verse, Truly, I say to you, and whatever Jesus says, truly, you need to pay attention. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour... He does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's God's word. So in the second parable that Jesus is telling in rapid fire succession, one after the other, in response to his disciples' questions, when is the end of the age is going to come and how are we going to live in response to that? He says, I'm going to come when you don't expect it. Be vigilant, be watchful, be awake. And then he tells them really, um, I might surprise some by coming sooner than expected. And how you live now is going to have eternal consequences. Jesus could return sooner than you expect. And how you're living now will have eternal consequences. I remember when I was a little boy, I used to love to go hunting with my dad. And, uh, and I would go at an early age. I, he, he would get me up at, and he would get, re- get us ready at like 4 in the morning because we had to drive to where we went hunting and then we had to walk all the way into the woods and it was a big ordeal. Well, I remember one night that I had stayed up too late the night before and he apparently came to my room and tried to wake me up, but I wouldn't wake up. And when I finally did wake up, I, apparently I supposedly, at this day I have to believe him, but um, I, I told him, he, Dad, that's okay, I'm not going to go, I don't want to go anymore. And so he left. And I remember waking up, I don't know, like a 7 a.m. or so, and the rest of the house was waking up, and he was gone, and I was, I was distraught. I, I, was, I was sad, I, I missed it, the opportunity, I, I wanted to be with him, I didn't get a chance to go with him a lot, and, and so I was really bummed about it, I was crying, I was angry, all, all of those emotions all at once that you can get as a child, and... And there were consequences for him not being ready for him to come sooner than I was ready for. They weren't eternal. I just missed the opportunity to, to kill a deer. And for some of you, maybe that's a good thing. Um, for, for me, that would have been a great reward um, to, to bring a deer home. But there were consequences. I wasn't ready. And this parable that Jesus is giving, he, he's giving this parable. And he's saying that I'm going to come sooner than you expect. And by the way, if I come... And I'm going to surprise somebody how quickly I come. Some won't be looking for me to return that quickly. But if I come and I find that you're doing my will, um, he says there's going to be a great reward for that. But then he gives another alternative. He says if I come and I find that you're not busily engaged, then there's going to be consequences for that. So one potential outcome is that if the servant Although he's not expecting Jesus, Jesus surprises him by, or the master surprises him by coming back earlier than expected. But if the servant is just, is doing what he's called to do, he's called to live for the household of God. For us, that means the church. Are we we living for the church, for his kingdom? Are we living for the things of God? Are Are we doing what he's called us to do in his household? Are we being faithful there? And if you are, no matter when he returns, even if he surprises you, here's the promise, and it's a great promise. He says that we're going to be richly rewarded. Look Down in Matthew 24, it says, Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. 
And think about that. What, a, what an astounding statement that, that we, just by being faithful, just by serving God, by, by serving him in his household, that we would be set over all of his possessions. That's the inheritance that he has, he has given to all those who are living for him, who have placed their faith in him and are expecting him. You know, as believers, Jesus has given us charge to be engaged with his household of faith. He's, he's given us privileges. He's, he's, he's said to care for those in your household, to care for those in the church, to live for his kingdom. And he's, he's given us duties described here. Sometimes we can look at those duties wrongly as a great burden. But really, in this passage, the, the servant was given all these privileges, given these responsibilities, because the master trusted him. He entrusted him with his household. He entrusted him with the thing that was most precious to him. He entrusted him with all that he had. If, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, he has entrusted you with, with all of the Father's house. And it's a great privilege that God's made you as stewards and entrusted you with his message of reconciliation. Elsewhere in the Bible, we find that he actually calls us ambassadors. You know, right now, I... Trump administration, they're putting in all different kinds of people and soon they're going to put ambassadors in place who will represent our government to other countries. God has made you, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, an ambassador. It's a great privilege. It's a great responsibility. It's, it's not meant to be a burden as much as it is to be a privilege to be delighted in and to be excited about and to live out. You know, I was thinking if I was a wealthy businessman, which I'm, I'm not... But if I was, and I gave one of my children a Lamborghini to drive in and a house to take care of, they would probably see that as a privilege. Even if I told them, hey, by the way, I'm giving you this amazing car, this amazing house, so that you can carry out my business when I'm gone. I think they would still be excited and say, wow, what a great responsibility, a great privilege that you would entrust me this thing. I can't believe that you would love me so much that you would give me these things that you would let me take care of. That's how we're meant to view us and really in our relationship with God and the privileges, the gifts he's given to us, the message of reconciliation, all the treasures of his kingdom. And he says, now I want you to care for those in my household. I want you to, to spread this good news. It's a privilege. Yes, he's given us something to do, but it's a privilege that we can rejoice in. And for all of those who been given this great honor, his unmitigated trust of carrying out his work on earth, even if he comes back in a time we won't expect, even if we're just kind of going about our daily business, going about your job, whatever that might be, maybe you're um, an accountant or a bookkeeper or maybe you're a trash person, um, so uh, janitor or whatever your job is, if you're carrying out, being faithful to whatever gifts God's given you, he's going to reward you greatly but then he actually gives another warning here and think about who he's talking to jesus in these parables in this short succession of parables these four parables a fifth one actually that that aaron preached a few weeks ago is about the sheep and the goats but in these parables that jesus is giving he's speaking privately to his 12 disciples keep that in mind speaking privately to his 12 disciples and he gives this warning he gives this warning in the midst of saying, if I come back, it's sooner than you expect. I'm going I'm to make you over all of my father's possessions. But then he uses this warning. He says, you know, don't use your freedom for yourselves. If you call yourselves a servant of the master, don't act like the master's not coming back. Don't, he's given you all the freedoms to live however you will, but don't do it to serve yourselves. Don't go and, and hang out like the world hangs out. Don't act like they act. Don't be a part of that. Don't be confused. If you do, it's just proving that we're living to please ourselves. And so he's speaking to his disciples, and he's speaking to you and I, and he speaks rewards, but he speaks warnings as well that, for some, it might be a wake-up call to stop putting off whatever it is that God's calling you to. To stop putting off his call in your life. You know, some, maybe you are, you call yourself a Christian or once called yourself a Christian, but you're not living like that. And so Jesus is, is warning you not to, because he 
is being mean, but because of his grace and his mercy and his kindness. And he wants you to experience all the rewards of the Father's house. But he says, don't, you can't do that if you're going to be living for yourselves. You can't do that if you live like I'm not coming back. And in fact, if you live that way, you might think I'm not coming back and act like I'm not coming back. But if you live that way, it's going to result in you being cut into pieces. Now, that's not literal, but he's being metaphorical, saying it's going to end in your, your brutal death spiritually, and you're going to be separated and put in a place of hypocrites. And for some, it might be a wake-up call, maybe to say, okay, I need to stop pretending that I'm a servant of God, and I need to, to respond to his good grace because he wants to give me all of his father's household. And so I need to see that because he loves me, he is calling me back to himself. For others, maybe you are a, a believer, but you've, you, you've grown cold and maybe you need to make changes to your life. Maybe you need to stop being distracted by material things and stop living for the world. For others, there may be areas of your life that God's calling you to change, but you're acting like there, it doesn't matter right now. There's no hurry. You know, I've been there before, convicted of something, but I'm too stubborn and proud to actually confess it because it means that I'm weak. The good news is, is that for all those who are weak, all those who are humble, he gives great grace. Some here might need to make changes to your life. Some might need to stop being distracted by things. Or some of them might be relationships that are hard that you need to reconcile, that you need to make right. Others, God may have been calling you to repent of areas in your life that you've been putting off. You need to hear Jesus' words to his disciples, lovingly entreating, lovingly warning. If you're living for yourself, living as if it doesn't matter and you have all the time in the world, you could be surprised. You could be surprised. You know, if you just look around at the, at the news today, um, it's just amazing that, that any of us at any point in time are spared. There's so much violence in the world and illness and disease and so many things. You, you, know, you never know how short your life could be cut. For some, that, that might mean saying, you know what, I've been, I've been pretending that I'm a servant, but I'm not really. And, and I want to be. Because I want, to, I want him to reward me with his household. And, you know, Jesus wasn't saying this because there's no hope of change. He was saying this because he wanted his disciples to not give in to living for themselves. Because it ends badly. The language being cut in pieces is awful. And he tells us it's going to result in, a, in, in being put in place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that, that's kind of a, a symbol of, of regret, of, of angst, of anxiety, of utter sorrow and regret over not living for him. Regret for abusing the freedoms that we've been given to him. But as long as we are, we're alive, it's never too late to respond. And you know what was, is interesting is that Jesus, talking to his 12 disciples, all of them called themselves disciples. He called all of them by name. But one of them wasn't really truly a servant, right? And, and he had already betrayed Jesus. I think Jesus was talking to him and giving him a warning. You know, if you believe in the sovereignty of God as we do as a church, it doesn't mitigate the fact that at any point in time, God calls us to respond and that he, ena he will enable us to respond. So he's talking to his disciples here, at least people who claim to be his disciples and the good news is that for all of us, that Jesus doesn't hold your hypocrisy, your failures, your, your faults against you when you repent. And he's giving a principle here saying, don't live like that because there's a chance for repentance. And then he keeps going. He gives these two principles and he says, Jesus, that he, he, he could come back at any moment, so let's live vigilantly. He could come sooner than you expect, so let's live knowing that there's going to be eternal consequences for how we live. And then... He doesn't stop there. He, he goes on. So some will be surprised at how quickly Jesus returns, but for others, they're going to be surprised by how long he seems to be taking. 
I've been a Christian for a lot of years, and at times I'm like, God, how long, oh Lord? Sometimes you can grow weary. Think, how long? And that can affect you. So Jesus addresses this as well in the third parable. It's a little longer than the first two we looked at. Look at Matthew 25, verse 1. Look down your Bibles, Matthew 25, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, we have it on the screen for you, by the way. He says, then the kingdom of heaven. Now remember, he's, he's continuing to answer the same question. So he's rapid fire succession, giving this parables about how to live in the meanwhile while he's gone. And so Matthew 25, 1, he says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here's the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour. There's so much we could say about this little parable here. But this main idea that I think Jesus is trying to get across to his disciples as he is, he is giving them principles to live by. I'm going away for a while, but here's some principles to live by. I'm going to come when you don't expect. I might come sooner than you expect. So, so live knowing that how you live now has consequences. Live vigilantly. And then he says he, he could return and surprise you by returning longer than is expected. He could take longer. There could be a delay in your expectations. He could return later than we expect, so he must be prepared now. It's kind of the third main idea that he's trying to get across here. And by the way, for these ten virgins, they were, they were ten bridesmaids. They were the, the, the attendants of the wedding party, the bridesmaids, and they were, they, were, they were always ready for the time when the bridegroom would come and announce his arrival. And in that culture, it was meant to be a surprise they would know generally the day and the hour, but not exactly. And the bridegroom would be announced, and they would go out to meet him with these torches they would carry, and they would go out in this procession, and there'd be great rejoicing. But what he's saying here is that it, it, there could be a delay. It could be much longer than you expect, and you need to be ready for that. You need to be prepared for that. You need to be prepared if it's sooner. You need to be prepared if it's longer. You don't know when it's going to be. And five of these bridesmaids that we see they prepare well. They're prepared for the delay. They know that, hey, we're not sure how long it'll be till the bridegroom comes back. And they're prepared for his delay and, and they're ready whenever he chooses to come and get them and usher them into the place of the wedding feast. You know, I, I love that he, it's, it's about having their lights ready. He, he called us the light of the world. So you let your light shine. They're, they're ready to, to keep their lights burning, relying on the oil, the preparation that they've made. They prepared to, to have their light last and they shine their lights as long as needed so that their light stayed burning in the long run. Jesus wants that for everyone here as well. He wants you to be ready. You, you never know when he's going to return. It could be tomorrow. It could be 50 years or 100 years from now or further. But he's saying, you know, be ready. No matter when I return, live expectantly, live vigilantly, but prepare as well. Prepare for the long term. So you have, you have three different camps here that Jesus is addressing. Those who think he can come back tomorrow, so let's sell everything. And Jesus is saying, uh, you need to prepare for the long delay, so, but, but be ready and make those preparations. Know that I might come whenever you don't expect. These, these five bridesmaids who brought in more oil, they didn't, they didn't burn out. You know, it's like, like a sprinter who runs as fast as he can the first part of a marathon. And I, I talked to a few runners, and they said, yeah, the first time I ran a 5K or a 10K, that, man, I just ran as fast as I could. And I realized that that was a big mistake about two, three miles in. It's a big mistake because I burnt out. Um, I wasn't ready that I, that preparing myself mentally, I didn't develop an endurance that I could, I could last a long time. I couldn't finish the race. 
when I, when I first visited Vancouver, Canada, where we helped plant the church um, a few years back, I got to visit there with a team of people from Tennessee who were unprepared for the weather in Vancouver. We went up in May, and we decided to go on this long hike up to the top of this small mountain for there. It was about 5,000 feet or so, so it was a relatively small foothill for them. And we went up to the top of this foothill in May, and so you think, okay, it's the, the end of May, it's the I think it was the 30, 31st, it was the day before June. It's going to be fine. So all these Tennesseans are wearing, call them Tennesseans, is that right? Um, they're wearing shorts and t-shirts, and so was I. But um, we warned them all, hey, by the way, you want to get ready because um, the hike might be longer than you think. Um, also, you never know what's going to crop up. In the meanwhile, some storms could kick up. You never have an idea, and it can get cold. The temperature could drop. So, so bring some extra provisions. So put some extra layers in your backpack and bring them with him. But all these people from Tennessee were like, Psh, it's June, man. It's almost, it's almost the first of June. We're fine. And so we went up to the top of the mountain, and then a big storm came in. And when the storm came in, it was, it was unexpected. The hike took much longer than everybody thought. Everybody got drenched. And the people who didn't bring things were actually in danger because the temperature dropped down into the high 30s at the top of this mountain, and you can actually get hypothermia. And even if you're still walking, you get hypothermia if you're in shorts and a t-shirt. And so a few of us had brought extra provisions, and I thought, yeah, some of these people are going to forget, and a few other guys did the same thing. So we're able to at least keep them from having hypothermia. And they, they weren't ready. It was, it was a longer hike than they really thought. They weren't prepared, and it could have had bad consequences. Thankfully, in their case, it didn't. Jesus is saying to us, you know, I, I could delay longer. You might encounter things you don't expect in life. In fact, you probably will. You might encounter storms. You might encounter difficulties. This hike that we're on, this race that we're on, this Christian walk that we're on, it might go far longer than you think. And you might think that everything's going to be fine in life. But when you hit troubles and difficulties, will you be prepared? Are you going to be ready for the long haul? You know, unlike the problem of those in the earlier parable who weren't prepared for the lies being cut short, there's some who are not prepared for the long haul. Some are not ready for the difficulties and challenges of life and grow weary and are ready to give up. Don't let your oil run out. Maybe some wrongly believe that Christians are not meant to suffer in this life, not meant to have problems. So if I'm suffering, I'm having problems, then maybe he's not really going to return. Maybe he's not really coming back. And Jesus is saying, no, you're, you're gonna, it might take longer. You might encounter troubles. You might encounter difficulties. You might suffer. There might be problems in life. And actually, he told us in this world, you will have many troubles. He says, take heart of overcome the world. Others quit because the race seems too long. Others quit. They embrace the good news quickly. They spring up. They respond to the good news. They say, yeah, I believe that. But when the storms of life come, they don't have any grounding. They, don't, they have not deepened their roots They're in, in, in him. And Jesus is saying, no, you need to be ready. You need to bring oil. You need to, you need to deepen your roots. You need to prepare. You need to strengthen yourselves. You need to be equipped for the fact that I might return much longer than you expect. So prepare for that. What does it look like? Maybe it looks like saying, you know what? I need to grow my understanding and knowledge of God's word. I need to deepen in maturity. I need to pursue putting on the fruits of the spirit. I need to pursue putting off those things that God's called me to put off. And I need to to pursue responding to him because I'm going to need the extra oil. You know, the bridesmaids who weren't prepared in this parable for the long run, they realized their mistake, but it was too late. Realize mistake was too late. Well, they, they try to get the oil from somebody else, but you can't, you can't be strengthened with somebody else's strength. Now, yes, we're strengthening one another, but it's not my saying that. It's, you, you can't rely on someone else's spiritual maturity. You can't rely on somebody else's spiritual depth. All of a sudden, if you realize you don't have any, it's, it's going to be too late to realize, wait a minute, I can't just go out and, and get it. And the shocking thing is, here's, here's the thing, they're all called virgins. They're all referred to the same way, but some of them are turned away. And and look down in your Bibles. It says, how does the bridegroom answer them? He doesn't just turn them away. He doesn't say, yeah, you're too late for the feast. He says, when they said, Lord, Lord, open to us, he answers, truly I say to you, I do not know you. 
there, there can't be a, a more devastating word to hear from God than truly I don't know you. What shocking words. They appeared to be part of the wedding party. Just like the servants earlier, he referred to both classes. The servant who followed him and responded to him was faithful and the unfaithful, they both were called servants. All of these referred to the same way and I think that's because Jesus knows he's talking to all those who call themselves disciples but not all are. They appeared to be part of the wedding party but only some truly knew their master, only some truly knew the bridegroom. And I can't help but thinking that, you know, Jesus saying this, the disciples probably remember back to Matthew 7 where Jesus had instructed them before. He said that some might even prophesy in his name and do miracles in his name, but they're going to be sent away because they never really knew him. Matthew 7, 23, Jesus says, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Why does, why does Jesus give these warnings? Why in the world is Jesus telling his disciples these things? You've got you to gotta wonder that. You've got to think about that. Is he just being mean here? Is he, what's he doing? Is he just beating them up? Is he trying to scare them with fire and brimstone? What's going on here? He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to those who claim to be his disciples. Because he wants desperately for them to know him. It's mercy. It's grace. Maybe this morning you're thinking, man, why is this guy, why is he talking about such hard things? Well, because God wants you to experience his mercy and grace. Jesus wants you to know him. He's, he's enabling you even right now to know him. He wants you to respond to his call. He wants you to be found faithful. Because if we're living for him, if we're, if we're living in the good of what he's given to us, we have nothing to worry about and nothing to fear. He doesn't want us to fear. He doesn't want us to experience these negative consequences. When I tell my children, hey, if you do this, it's going to have a consequence. It's not because I'm mean. It's because I love them and I don't want them to have that consequence. Right? So that's, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, I love you. Let me warn you. I love you. Let me give you promises. And he gives some wonderful promises here. He doesn't want his followers to be prepared, I mean to be surprised when he comes at a time they don't expect. He wants them to be prepared, not be surprised whether he returns earlier than they think or later than they think. In this in-between time that we live in, we live expectantly trusting him no matter when he returns. And it brings us to the final parable. And it's longer, but we're, we're only going to just very briefly touch on it. It's the parable of the talents. And Jesus is continuing. Again, this is one teaching by Jesus. One teaching by Jesus, and he gives all these parables in a row to his disciples because he wants them to know, hey, I'm going away three days from now, by the way, and when I go, I want you to know how to live in this interim time. So look down at your Bibles in Matthew 25, or up on the screens in Matthew 25, 14. He says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property, the one he gave five talents, and whether two to one other one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. He would receive the five talents, went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he would receive the one talent, went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing those five talents, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here, I've made five more. His master said to him, Well done. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I'll set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I have not scattered, where I have scattered no seed? Then you ought to invest in my money with the bankers. In my coming, I should have received with my, what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him as ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given, more will be given. And he who has will have an abundance. 
But from the one who has not, even that he, what he has will be taken away. And then here's what he says. He said, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is God's word. So this parable continues to address this question of how should we live? If, if he's going to come back when we don't expect it, and he might come back sooner than we expect and surprise us that way. He might come back for some uh, in their minds and surprise you because he's taking far longer than you expect. But how are we supposed to live in the meanwhile? Obviously, through those three parables he's given, we're not meant to try to figure out when he's coming back. That's not that's the point. He's saying, you don't know what's going to happen. And he repeats that. No one knows. No one knows. No one knows. I'm coming when you don't expect. Uh, whether I come back soon or later. But it is supposed to affect how you live now. And there's just key principles that Jesus calls us to as stewards. And he, he calls us to be good stewards no matter when he'll return. That's the, the final principle that he's getting across. is No matter when he returns, knowing he will return, he calls us to be good stewards of whatever he's given us in the meanwhile. I, you know that We opened with that book, The Sign of the Beaver, and the Master Goes Away. In, in the sign of the beaver, Matt, he learns how to fight a bear and how to make a bow and he learns how to plant and all these things that he learns along the way. And when his, his dad finally comes back, his dad's impressed and says, oh my goodness, you know, I gave you some basic tools, I gave you some things, some principles, but you've done so much with them and there's great rejoicing in their family. Jesus is giving us a heads up and saying, by the way, I'm going away. And I want there to be great rejoicing when I come back. I don't want you to be sorrowful. I don't want you to be cast out. I want you to rejoice with me. And so what he's teaching here is not about economics or capitalism. Don't get confused. He's talking about money, but this is not about um, you know, using two talents. You're supposed to get two more. Or using five, you're supposed to get five more. This is not some nonsense about getting a hundredfold return or something like that. What it is saying, no matter how much you've been given, um, Use whatever you've been given for him. Use whatever you've been given for him. And, and something to know there is that a talent was the largest unit of Roman currency. It was about 20 years worth of wages. That's a lot. So even the guy who's got one talent, don't feel sorry for him. You know, today's currency, maybe they'd be something like a million dollars. 50000 a year for 20 years, a million dollars. So um, if that's the average wage in this area. So that's what he's talking about. Some are given, you know, a million. Some are given two. Some are given five. But he's not being mean when he gives some less than others. He still, gives, he still gives more than enough, is what he's saying. He's giving his disciples more than enough to live. If you have 20 years of wages given to you, that's more than enough. You should be able to live in the long run. You should be able to do something with that. Now, he's not talking about wages to you and I. What he, he's using it as an illustration of he's given us more than enough no matter where you are. Don't get jealous about the person who's been given a little more. It's all been given based on your ability. He's not being cruel or mean. He gives some more talents because they're able to handle those talents. He's made them differently. Don't be jealous. No matter how many you have, if you have two talents, you have five talents, you have one talent. He gave you enough that you can live for the long haul and you can be his stewards. He gave you all that you need to live this life. But what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? They realized they'd have to give an account for what they've been given and, and for how they lived. And so the one who takes his talent and buries it and hides it in the ground, he does nothing with what was given. He has his talent taken away. Now, if you... We're going to contextualize this. Talents today for us, it could be anything from money to time to possessions to um, abilities. God's given so many different gifts and abilities and talents in this room. I'm aware of so many people with diverse giftings, diverse talents, diverse abilities, diverse backgrounds, diverse levels of income, diverse perspectives. Those are all talents that God says, I'm giving you these things because I want you to live for me because I want you to receive my reward. Because if you are my servant, you're going to receive my reward. And so he's making clear in these parables we shouldn't worry about when the end's going to come specifically and get caught up trying to figure out the day. But we are called to live every day with an awareness of the final day. Knowing that what you do every day matters and knowing that no matter how long it seems, he will return. 
He is coming back. Be ready in the short term. Be ready in the long term. Whether it comes back tomorrow, whether it comes back after years of difficulty. And then let's remember that in all of these accounts here, he gives a reward. In, In three of the four, actually. Three of the four, he gives a reward. He says, if you're just doing faithfully what I've called you to do in my household with the things I've given you, then I'm going to set you over all my possessions. Hear that. That's what God wants for each and every person here. He wants to set you over all of his possessions. He desires that for you. He desires that you follow him with all your heart. And then in the other parable, he doesn't just set him over all those possessions. He, he gives him untold riches. And in, in the talents, uh, he, he gives them double what they had. And even in the little that they were faithful too he gives them even more and the, and the virgins uh, the parable of the virgins he he says enter into the feast enter into his kingdom forever he shuts the door behind them they are safe in the kingdom they get to enjoy the wedding feast in eternity jesus wants that for each and every person here he wants that for all those who call them disciples you know some here need to hear this message because you've grown complacent it's easy to get complacent Thinking, is he really returning? Will it really make any difference how I live now? Maybe some have grown weary. And you're thinking, I don't know if I can endure this long. He wants to give you his oil. He wants to supply you with all that you need. And he calls you to do that. He calls you to come to his throne of grace to receive mercy and grace in your time of need. And for others, you need to remember he is returning. How you live now will make a difference. Remember, we have good news. We have all that we need for life and godliness. And then for others, you need to be reminded that he's given you his gifts. Rejoice in them. Realize that the responsibilities and privileges he's given you are not meant to weigh you down. He says, my my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He wants you to rest from living for yourselves and to live for him. He wants you to know that he's going to return. And he's going to give all who are looking for his return the reward of his household. He's he's wanting you to come into his kingdom, to enjoy his feast. And he's going to commend you for your faithfulness. There remains a reward. He says, you know, at at the end of life, he doesn't doesn't say, hey, I'm really impressed with those six degrees that you got. Well, maybe maybe that's a way of you being faithful to your talents. But he's, he's not... God's not most impressed with a title behind our name. He's not most impressed with um, the accolades we received. He, he gives commendation to all these servants equally. He says, well done, what? Good and faithful servant. He's not expecting too much. He says, I just want you to be faithful to the things I've called you to do. And then he says, enter into the joy of my master. Enter into the joy of the Father. Enter into the joy of God. That's what he wants for you. He will reward us with himself. He will commend us for the faithfulness that he enables us to have. And maybe this morning you're thinking, I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I can be faithful. That's okay. There's a chance to respond. There's a chance to respond. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He says, you know, come to me, you who are naked and poor and wretched and blind. I'll give you clothes. I'll clothe you with my robes of righteousness. I'll give you all that you need. Jesus is telling these things to disciples because he's going away and we don't know when he's going to come back. But he gives us principles about how to live in the meanwhile because he wants to reward us in the end. Let's pray. Let's pray I'd have a band go ahead and come up. That'd be, that'd be good. God, thank you for your depth of mercy that we've received. Thank you that even hard messages from you 